which of course uh, is all kinds of pretty nasty, but uh, that's kind of uh, expected these days, given how much the Chinese communists seem to own Western leaders outside of Trump. Uh, it's, uh, it's pretty rough. Uh, it's pretty rough that way. Just chilling, growing tomatoes? Yeah, boy, I don't think I've ever been quite as motivated to, um, <laughs> to plant my own garden, so to speak. Uh, it hasn't killed anyone. The media invented it. You know, I'm a big one for being skeptical. You know, I get all of that, and I understand all of that. But, you know, skepticism is one of these things that you want the Aristotelian mean, so to speak. Like, you want to be somewhat skeptical, but you don't want to be skeptical to the point where you just don't have any capacity to accept some basic truths. That's not a good combo. So um, try, try to sort of stay inside of the reality of, yeah, there is, a, there is a virus. And yes, it is particularly nasty. Is it really 36.5 million unemployed in the U.S., Harry? Is that right? You bought a greenhouse this year. Yeah, that's not a bad idea at all. That's not a bad idea at all. I am the man. Oh, you guys are the man. I am only the man in this realm because you guys are the men and the women. So thank you so much for all of your support and for joining uh, in what it is that I do. It's uh, fantastic. We have a communist premier in Victoria, Australia. He is against an inquiry against China. Oh, I'm getting to get, I'm going to get into all of that stuff, my friends. I promise you. I promise you we're going to get into all of that stuff. And... Uh, Chad says, you tested positive for COVID antibodies, got pretty sick last January with cough and fever. You know, I was talking to a fellow who called me in. It was very, very, he was a medical professional and he was treating soldiers last year. And he says he got sick with it, pretty sure that that was it. And uh, I guess his concern was it came from soldiers, which is a theory I've kind of heard floating around. Now uh, I'm, you know, waiting for more confirmation on that, but that's something I've been sort of uh, flowing on. Welsh Jesus would love to stick around and listen, but it's 1 a.m. here. Yeah, you can listen to the podcast version, although you'll miss the staggering, lovely uh, visuals about all of this. So, Is the stream coming through uh, okay? Uh, I try to do this stuff rarely enough to the point where I just end up forgetting it. Now, it's saying that the bit rate is too high, but uh, yeah, let me know if, the, uh, uh, if, it's, uh, if it's coming through all right. Why does blackface panda to China? So he's talking about um, uh, Justin Trudeau. Uh, well, so Justin Trudeau wants to be in charge of the UN, and Justin Trudeau, uh, I don't know if they've got something on the guy. I don't know if it's just his father was very uh, was a proto-communist. I don't know, but my God, uh, it is just appalling. It's just appalling. Yeah, we're going to get into the epidemiological data, the projections. We're going to get into all of that kind of stuff. And uh, it's good in 480p. Hmm, you guys getting any 720 or is it just 480 that's coming through at the moment? Looking good? All right. Well, you know what? We'll survive with it. How many died of flu this year? Well, did you know that the flu estimates that come out of, um, I guess it's the CDC, well, they're just estimates. They're just estimates. In fact, the number of people who does die from the flu appears to be between 4,000 and 15,000, which means, of course, that uh, that puts uh, SARS-CoV-2 in a much more difficult um, situation. Uh, let's see here. Buddy, there's a reason I walked away from you, Stefan. 
you're not willing to point out what's really going on. You'll go up to about a point and then you'll stop. Oh, you know, um, if you <laughs> if you want to go ahead and show me how it's do how it's done, please feel free. Uh, everybody, you know, they complain. You know, listen. When you do, I said this years ago. Like if you if you give uh, a thumbs up on the internet, about ten thousand people will say great, and about ten thousand people will say, man, it totally should have been the other thumb, you idiot. <laughs> it's just kind of natural. And the number of people who tell me whatever I do, I'm doing it wrong, eh, you know, there's nothing that's, that's a great thing about having a low barrier to entry. There's nothing to stop you from doing your own thing, right? There's nothing to stop you from going and doing your own thing. And I do apologize as well. Somebody pointed out I haven't been posting the call-in shows to the stream, uh, to, to the podcast stream, which you can get at fdrpodcast.com. And uh, I'm sorry about that. That's just a matter of I've been super busy. I was not expecting the uh, Ahmad Aubrey thing to drop uh, into the mix, and uh, I will. It's a great reminder. Uh, am I going to make more Ahmad Aubrey videos? I think I've made six now, uh, so that's good. Um, and uh, I, I will follow it uh, as new information comes out. I do find this stuff very interesting, and I know it's doing a lot of good. It's the kind of thing, like, so there seems to be a big move on Hong Kong at the moment, and I really, really fell in love with Hong Kong when I went there just prior to the outbreak of SARS-CoV-2 last September. I love Hong Kong. God, it was a great place. I'd love to have it as my gulch gulch, but it doesn't look like it's going to go that way because China's making some severe legislative moves to take it over, basically. And, I, you know, it's kind of tough. So when I have the individual conversations, convince people about how philosophy can help them in their personal life, I know it helps them. If I do big things like Hong Kong, I'm not sure how much effects, uh, effect it has. Uh, so medium stuff like Ahmad Arbery, as I did before with Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman, I know that has a big effect because it tends to cool the rioting if the facts are out ahead of time. So uh, it's uh, it's pretty rough. Yeah, there are a lot of um, uh, brainwashed people about the Ahmad case. It is really, really tough. All right. So let's uh, let's get started. Uh, I got a lot of stuff to go through and, you know, get comfy, my friends, because, you know, we got we to gotta stick up for each other. You know, I mean, there are a lot of people out there, probably a lot of people who are listening to this, you guys are living alone and you're isolated and, you know, let's do what we can to have a bit of community about all of this and uh, all of that. So let's, uh, let's get into it. So, uh, hi, <laughs> here we go. Here we go. Boy, I remember when it was only, um, 500,000 and that seemed like all the people in the world. So total confirmed cases of SARS-CoV-2 is almost 4.8 million of which just over 1.5 million are in the U.S., 290,000 and change in Russia, just under a quarter mil in the U.K., Brazil, Spain, Italy, Germany, France, Turkey, Iran, and so on. When you get down into the, 20, into the 60s, isn't it? We're 60, 66,000 uh, and change in Canada. Where the heck is Canada in here? I thought we were somewhere. Oh, here we go. 79,411 in Canada. And... The U.S. map, of course, is, uh, is it's pretty brutal. Uh, it's pretty brutal, and uh, it's, uh, it's rough. Let's, I, now, this one actually does have the up, like, number of new cases, but it doesn't fit in this little window here. So I'm going to try another source here and see if I can get that in there. And I don't know if you guys are tracking this stuff or not, but uh, we'll get into it. And uh, I will, of course, stay with you guys to figure out what we can you know, what we can chat about, because 
I want to see how you guys are doing as well as, you know, give you the old cannon fodder of information. All right, can I, let me see if I can stretch this dude out here. Uh, yeah, the problem is I can't scroll over on this thing. Uh, no, when I try and scroll over, it just moves. Sorry about that. And I can't, there's no zoom on it either, which is kind of a drag. So uh, I've tried a couple of different maps. I guess this one isn't going to work either. But basically, the line is just continuing to go uh, straight up. Now, it's not going up like like a ski jump. Um, or it's not going up exponentially, but it is going up in a linear fashion. Uh, and that sort of was the goal, right? To, to sort of crush the curve, to give the medical system time to react, and also just to figure out what the hell was going on with this virus that I still believe did not come out of purely organic uh, adaption. I do, believe, do not believe it's purely zoonotic, and there's lots of evidence out there about that which I won't sort of delve into here. It's somewhat technical, and of course, a lot of it is beyond my particular purvey. It's above my pay grade, as they used to say, uh, but uh, it, is very, uh, it is very real. And, um, you know, this was the goal, right? Couple of weeks of slowdown, and everyone who's out there, I want to address the people who are mad at me. You know, like, I, I get that, I understand. And um, I sort of want to address that. So, I never said the government should shut down all business. I tried to talk to people about, you know, if you can stay home, I think that's a good thing to do. If you can stay home, I think it's a good thing to do, and there's good reason for it. Just a couple of weeks, see how this thing goes, see how it shakes out, see how it plays out. And uh, for everyone who's saying, hey, man, you contributed to the fascism of the current situation, it's like, nope, no. I mean, dudes, I'm an anarchist. What am I going to do, sit there and say um, uh, that... Uh, the government should handle this thing. The government should do all this stuff. I mean, come on. Give me, uh, give me some credit at least as far as that goes, right? Okay, so let me get down here. I've got a ways to go back in terms of uh, uh, information to get you. Uh, and I've tried to get rid, of the, um, uh, get rid of the situations where stuff has been overwhelmed by sort of new data. So, yeah, flatten the curve to prevent hospitals from being overwhelmed is putting hospitals out of business. So for those, of course, who are in socialized healthcare, like everything except the United States and the West, I suppose, we're not used to hospitals going out of business, but the hospitals, uh, you know, surgeries are canceled, business models are shifting, and some of the hardest hit hospitals may close, leaving patients with fewer options. And that's, uh, you know, that's pretty terrible. That's pretty terrible. And not too, not too shocking, of course. Um, social distancing is, uh, well, there's some real questions about the validity and value of social distancing other than allowing a lot of women who don't have kids to scold everyone. The Daily Mail reports that China may have had 640,000 coronavirus cases instead of 80,000, and this is from uh, leaked data. And we'll get into the New York and other places where they ordered coronavirus patients into nursing homes, which... I, I, it was absolutely shocking and appalling and and uh, stunning, right? So, yeah, the virus is supposed to have this incubation of no more than 14 days. So, you know, stay home for 15 days to stop the spread. But for some places, it's going on for three months now. The hospitals are empty for the most part in many places. And that's pretty, uh, that's pretty terrible. And there is a certain amount of... Uh, what the hell? Now, again, hindsight is easy. You really got to try and avoid hindsight stuff because it really doesn't help uh, to to do that. And 
Uh, hindsight is just too easy. So we didn't have data back in January, in February, in early March. Now we have data. And this is why at the beginning of last month, right, so six, seven weeks ago, I said everything should open uh, back up and, you know, use masks if you can and all of that. But, you know, we're just going to have to deal with that uh, as, uh, as it goes on. A uh, Guardian analysis has found that there have been thousands of excess deaths of people at home in the UK due to the lockdown, which is uh, pretty terrible. So, you know, let's start with this. And I don't mean to get all kind of class conscious on you guys, but uh, this is kind of important to understand just how class-based this lockdown is. My God, it's brutal. So this is from, and again, I'll put sources to all of this in the show notes when we're done. Jobs, a majority of hours lost by wage. This is February to April. So this is proportion of each wage range lost jobs um, per hour, right? Lost jobs or hours, right? So those who are making less than $14 an hour, 52%, 14 to 16 an hour, 50%, 16 basically to 22, 36%, and it kind of steps down for there. For those who are making more than $48 an hour, It's only 1% jobs or majority of hours lost by wage. And this is what's so brutal. So the people who can stay home and continue to work, you know, the computer programmers and lawyers and people who can work remotely and psychologists who could do remote conferencing and business, people who can do remote meetings and so on. So the richer you are, the less likely you are to be losing income in this shutdown. And that's really, really important because... You know, the, the people who are at the bottom end of the economic ladder, you know, we kind of need society to take care of them. It's usually not their fault. You know, it could be an IQ issue, could be an opportunity issue, could be a terrible school issue, could be any number of things. But we kind of need to take care of people, and this is really brutalizing. It's brutalizing two groups of people, in a sense, the most. I mean, economically, right? I mean, outside of the, um, you know, the, the brutalization of the people who have pre-existing conditions, the aged people, and so on. So the poor are losing jobs hand over fist, and also the um, entrepreneurs, right? So what's happening is I talked about in a little video that I did for uh, Twitter and, and Facebook and YouTube, the small businesses don't have the political clout to um, get the big government agencies or bureaucracies or politicians to open them up, right? It's like some local hardware shop doesn't have the clout of like home hardware or walmart or whatever so the big businesses have the ear of the politicians i have the ears of the politicians and what they're doing is the big businesses are saying hey man you got to open us up and because they've got economic clout they can donate and all of that they do they do that and the smaller businesses don't have that and so the smaller businesses are just getting brutalized and crushed and it is just it is just terrible. Okay, the live chat's not coming through, so we can turn that off and I guess make things just a little smidgier, smoother. So I am not particularly pleased with that. So as of May 11th, Andrew Neal was saying, we've known for a while now that just 10% of COVID-related deaths are in the working population, 20 to 65. Should that fact not feature more prominently in the government's get-back-to-work strategy? And that's, uh, that's pretty rough. A lot of people, of course, they're trying to get you know, the poorer you are, in general, it's not always the case, but in general, the poorer you are, the worse your job is. The Like, the less you get paid, the worse your job is. And I know this because I kind of burrowed up from the bottom when it comes to uh, uh, when it comes to starting my career. Like, I started making almost nothing and ended up as a software entrepreneur, not doing too badly, and so on. So that's something that that is 
is a brutal thing to understand because when the businesses start to come back up, if the people who are having the broadcast crappy jobs, they're getting government money, right? So what happens is the people are going to say, hey, you should come back to work. And they'll be like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. It's hard to understand. Like if you have a job that you like or a job that you're okay with, it's kind of hard to understand just how much people who have crappy jobs don't like uh, those jobs. Really, really don't like those jobs. So, all right. So let's get into some of the more detailed stuff. This is kind of a note. Did you know that Hollywood in the movie World War Z willingly edited out the source of the virus that caused the fictional zombie pandemic China in an effort to appease the Chinese communist censors? Dear, oh dear, oh dear. Okay, so let's... Uh, let me get this uh, site up. And listen, I hope you guys are willing to get comfortable because I got a lot of stuff to go through and I really do want to take time to to get it. Now, this is coming out of German intelligence. And, you know, Germans, a pretty, pretty smart group of dudes and dudesses. And uh, this is a big deal. This is a big, big deal. Okay, can we get back in here? Yeah. Ooh, that's a little... Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, okay, let me see if I can widen that sm smidge, box myself in a little, anything? No, all right, can I go super wide? No, can I refresh? Let me just try this, refreshing. No, that's, uh, well, that's not too friendly. So German intel, China told the World Health Organization to hide human-to-human -human coronavirus transmission in January. And... I guess you don't need all the details. There seemed to be a little like vertical column of penis text going on here. Yeah, so China did tell the World Health Organization, according to German Intel, to hide human-to-human -human coronavirus transmission. Well, because if human-to-human if -human corona transmission had been affirmed, then borders could have been shut, the world economy could have been saved, and China would have had to suffer with the effects of Chinese bio-research themselves. And they didn't want that, of course. And, you know, it's really, really important to remember that according to the reports that I've read, the guy who's in charge of the World Health Organization used to run a Marxist gang that was classified as a terrorist organization by the U.S. State Department uh, in Ethiopia, I think it was. So why anybody gives money to the World Health Organization? I mean, it's just kind of a retarded, right? Because it says World Health Organization, therefore it must have something to do with World Health and it's organized. It's like, that's just a name. You know, that'd be like me, me calling myself my philosophy show, I'm always right. And people going, well, I guess you, you can't be wrong. Uh, he can't be wrong because uh, he's, uh, he's not uh, right. All right. Uh, let me just see here. Let me try. I'll try another website because I think this is worth getting into uh, here if we can get it up. <laughs> if we can get it up, so to speak. All right, hang tight. Let me try another website here. All right. But, 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 but. What did we get? Did it work? So, uh, yeah, so China asked the World Health Organization to cover up coronavirus outbreak, German intelligence service. This delay cost the world four to six weeks that a committee used for preparing themselves. So, yeah, the Chinese leader asked the World Health Organization director to suppress news about the Wuhan coronavirus outbreak, the German intelligence agency BND found, according to a report by German magazine Der Spiegel, who has said mean things about friends of mine, but we'll uh, forgive them for the moment because, well, they're getting a lot of guilt trips for 70 years ago. During a conversation on January 21st, she reportedly asked Tedros not to announce the virus could be transmitted between humans and to delay, to, to delay any declaration of a coronavirus pandemic. 
It took until the end of January before the, the World Health Organization declared that the coronavirus outbreak needed to receive international attention. Because of China's delay, the world wasted four to six weeks could have used to better counter the spread of the virus, the BND concluded. So Germany's Robert Koch Institute also said that China failed to reveal all the relevant information at the outset of the epidemic, leading it to turn to the BND for advice, all of that. So, of course, Chinese diplomats said the opposite was true. They've got to include that. But, you know, Chinese diplomats, well, commie's going to commie. What can I tell you? So uh, that is... Um, that is a uh, that is a pretty big uh, big challenge. Now, I want to talk about this and this guy. I am I'm ambivalent about. So uh, just I'm putting that straight up there. I'm ambivalent about this guy. But here's the thing: I get that most people aren't going to die from coronavirus. Like they're not going to die from it. I get that, right? I I accept all of that. Um, but that's not uh, the only uh, uh, situation, right? So the, the situation to me, what I want to know right now, right now, I'm telling you, what I want to know is how many people, not just, you know, how many people die and all of that, but how many people have long-term health complications as a result of coronavirus. That's what I want to know. Like I get the flu, you're going to get better, or in a small minority of cases, it's going to kill you. But what I really want to know is how many people end up with long-term health complications because of coronavirus, because that to me is the essential question. That to me is the essential question. All right, so let me um, go through this guy. And, you know, I'll, I'll talk about the things that I don't like about him, which is important because it may not be, it may have something, it may have some relevance to what he's saying. Virologist Peter Piot spent a week in hospital, blah, 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 climbing a flight of stairs still leaves him breathless. So he worked on AIDS and all of this. And he said, on March 19th, I suddenly had a high fever and a stabbing headache. My skull and hair felt very painful, which was bizarre. I didn't have a cough at the time, but still my first reflex was, I have it. He means coronavirus, of course. He says, I kept working. I'm a workaholic, but from home. We put a lot of effort into teleworking at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine last year so that we didn't have to travel as much. That investment made in the context of the fight against global warming is now very useful, of course, right? So he's a global warming guy because the models for coronaviruses have all turned out to be counterproductive garbage for the most part. But don't worry, global warming models are totally, totally valid, right? So he said, I tested positive for COVID-19. I put myself in isolation in the guest room at home, but the fever didn't go away. I've never been seriously ill, not taken a day of sick leave in the past 10 years. I live a pretty healthy life and walk regularly. So the only risk factor he has is his age. He's 71. He thought, oh, it'll pass, right? But on April 1st, a doctor friend advised me to get a thorough examination because the fever and especially the exhaustion were getting worse and worse, right? So this thing attacks your cells, right? You can look at my uh, interviews with Dr. Cottrell about all of that. Uh, and um, it, it goes all over the place. It attacks a wide variety of places. And uh, that's kind of what I want to know. It's not like who's... They say, oh, people have recovered or people have died. But what I want to know is how many people are ending up with long-term health complications or longer-term health complications because of coronavirus. That, to me, is the most important question. And I don't know that anyone's gathering that information at the moment. And um, I, I really wish they would. So he says, it, um, he says, it turned out that I had severe oxygen deficiency, although I still wasn't short of breath. Lung images showed I had severe pneumonia, typical of COVID-19, as well as bacterial pneumonia. 
I constantly felt exhausted while normally I'm always buzzing with energy. It wasn't just fatigue, but complete exhaustion. I'll never forget that feeling. I had to be hospitalized, though I tested negative for the virus in the meantime. This is also typical to, uh, for COVID-19. The virus disappears, but its consequences linger for weeks. He said I was concerned I'd be put on a ventilator. I was scared of all of that. They just gave me an oxygen mask. And so it's a little bit of uh, backstory here. And he says, I was released from hospital after a long week. I traveled, by, I traveled home by public transport. I wanted to see the city with its empty streets, its closed pubs, and its surprisingly fresh air. There was nobody on the street. I couldn't walk properly because my muscles were weakened from lying down and from the lack of movement, which is not a good thing when you're treating a lung condition. At home, I cried for a long time. I also slept badly for a while. The risk that something could go seriously wrong keeps going through your head. You're locked up again. But you've got to put things like that in pers into perspective. I now admire Nelson Mandela even more than I used to. He was locked in prison for 27 years, but came out as a great reconciler. Uh, no, he was a communist terrorist who was locked in prison because he wouldn't stop advocating for blowing up people. So he's got a mind virus, but let's just talk about his physical virus, right? So he said, one week after I was discharged, I became increasingly short of breath. And the, you know, this guy's older, right, 71 which I guess seems old to me, just as my 53 might seem old to you. But, you know, relatively healthy guy and you know, walks a lot and not overweight and no underlying conditions uh, and all that. He says, one week after I was discharged, I became increasingly short of breath. I had to go to the hospital again. But fortunately, I could be treated on an outpatient basis. I turned out to have an organizing uh, pneumonia-induced lung disease caused by so-called cy uh, cytokine storm. It's a result of your immune defense going into overdrive, right? So the immune system doesn't really know how to handle this virus, so it just keeps escalating and escalating and escalating, and that's where the issue comes, right? So he says here, many people do not die from the tissue damage caused by the virus, but from the exaggerated response of their immune system, which doesn't know what to do with the virus. He said, I'm still under treatment for that with high doses of corticosteroids that slow down the immune system. If I had had that storm along with the symptoms of the viral outbreak in my body, I wouldn't have survived. I had atrial fibrillation with my heart rate going up to 170 beats per minute. It also needs to be controlled with therapy, particularly to prevent blood clotting events, including stroke, right? I think there was a guy in the States um, in the arts who lost his leg because of blood clots uh, because of coronavirus, as far as I understand it. And I've read reports of surgeons like trying to deal with blood clots and seeing other blood clots in the imaging form as they're trying to deal with the blood clots. So so this is what I think is important. He says, many people think COVID-19 kills 1% of patients and the rest get away with some flu-like symptoms. But the story gets more compl complicated. Many people will be left with chronic kidney and heart problems. Even their neural system is disrupted. There will be hundreds of thousands of people worldwide, possibly more, who will need treatment such as renal dialysis for the rest of their lives. The more we learn about the coronavirus, the more questions arise. We are learning while we are sailing. And that's why I get so annoyed uh, they're trying to, the policymakers who are trying hard to get the epidemic under control, that's very unfair. So he's, uh, he's getting uh, better and um, uh, he's uh, getting back in, in shape. And, uh, but this long-term issue, these complications, that is to me the big question, the big question right now. And uh, let's have a look at one other aspect of this. And we will um, I want to I want to find out also you know save your thoughts because I do want to find out how you guys are doing and if any of you guys have had that kind of these kinds of issues as well this longer term stuff yeah I know it's Fox sorry 
let's see here. Uh, can we can we move over? Can we move over? All right, I can I can blank myself around. You guys don't desperately need to see my beauties. At first, Laura Nichols tried to explain away her symptoms. In early March, the healthy 32-year-old felt an intense burning sensation like acid reflux when she breathed. So eventually she got tested for COVID-19, came back positive. Over the ne next eight weeks, she developed wide and varied symptoms, including extreme and chronic fatigue, diarrhea, nausea, tremors, headaches, difficulty concentrating, and short-term memory loss. Short-term memory loss. So somewhere between 5 and 80% of people, this is uh, an older article, right? Yeah, May 8th. So this is 10 days ago. So that's a pretty wild, uh, pretty, a pretty, um, a pretty far, far back in time, right? Uh, so it's a new disease. There's no studies about its long-term trajectory for those with more severe symptoms. China, of course, were only affected a couple of months ago. But doctors say the novel coronavirus can attach to human cells in many parts of the body and penetrate many major organs, including the heart, kidney, brain, and even blood vessels. The difficulty is sorting out long-term consequences, says Joseph Brennan. He's a cardiologist at the Yale School of Medicine. <laughs> what does he know, right? So while, other, while some patients may fully recover, he and other experts worry others will suffer long-term damage, including lung scarring, heart damage, and neurological and mental health effects. The UK National Health Service assumes that of COVID-19 patients who have required hospitalization, 45% will need ongoing medical care, 4% will require inpatient rehabilitation, and 1% will permanently require acute care. So... For other preliminary evidence, as well as historical research on other coronaviruses like SARS and MERS, suggests that for some people, their full recovery might still be years off. For others, there may be no returning to normal. Now, again, I know these are individual stories, so, right? So this uh, woman ended up uh, with these symptoms going on and off. And Brennan says symptoms like that occur because, quote, this virus creates an incredibly aggressive immune response. So spaces in the lungs are filled with debris and pus, making your lungs less pliable. And this is, I've talked about this before, actually, uh, probably a couple of months ago. On CT scans, while normal lungs appear black, COVID-19 patients' lungs frequently have lighter gray patches called ground glass opacities, which may not heal. And again, I'm not trying to scare you guys. I'm, I'm just telling you what I'm concerned about, because my general thing, like I'm really not going to do much leaving the old house for a while, is to do with this kind of, I just need more data. I just need more data. One study from China found that this ground glass, appearance, uh, ground glass appearance showed up in scans of 77% of COVID-19 patients. In another study out of China, 66 of 70 hospitalized patients had some sort of lung damage in CT scans, and more than half had the kind of lesions that are likely to develop into scars. A third study from China suggests that this is not just for critically ill patients. Its authors found that of 58 asymptomatic patients, 95%, also had evidence of these ground glass opacities in their lungs. More than a quarter of these individuals went on to develop symptoms within a few days. These kinds of tissue changes can cause permanent damage, says Ali, not going to pronounce it, a radiologist at the Keck School of Medicine at the University of Southern California. So, if, if you look at SARS, this is sort of from 03, one small longitudinal study published in Nature followed 71 SARS patients from 03 until 2018, more than a third had residual scarring, which can, which can mean reduced lung capacity. Um, MERS is a little harder to extrapolate from. Only 2,500 people were infected, and about 30 to 40% died. But one study found about a third of 36 MERS survivors also had long-term lung damage. Now, I'm a big fan of my lungs. 
uh, and and lung capacity and all of that. So, so this guy recently did a literature review of SARS and MERS says that for this subset of people, quote, the pulmonary function never comes back. Their ability to do, norm- to do normal activities never goes back to baseline. COVID-19 scarring rates may end up being higher than SARS and MERS patients because those illnesses often attacked only one lung, but COVID-19 appears to often affect both lungs. And that's bad, right? So if you get this kind of lung scarring, uh, you know, normal activities become challenging. This Brennan guy says, routine, Brennan doctor says, routine things like running up a flight of stairs would leave these individuals gasping for air. And having any type of underlying lung disease like asthma or other health conditions like hypertension might increase the risk of having longer term lung issues. And again, the older you are and all that, right? Uh, Many patients hospitalized for COVID-19 are experiencing unexpectedly high rates of blood clots, inflammatory responses to the infection. This can cause lung blockages, strokes, heart attacks, and other complications with serious lasting effects. So blood clots that form in or reach the brain can cause a stroke, although strokes are more typically seen in older people. Strokes are now being reported even in young COVID-19 patients. In Wuhan, China, about 5% of hospitalized COVID-19 patients had strokes, and a similar pattern was reported with SARS. In younger people who have strokes, mortality rates are relatively low compared to those who are older and many people recover, but studies show only between 42 and 53% are able to return to work. So that's not, uh, that's not good. So, oh, this is the guy, Nick Cordero, Tony-nominated Broadway and television actor, recently had to have his right leg amputated after COVID-related blood clots. So, again, I won't go through all of this. There's heart damage, neurocognitive and mental health impacts. Uh, I mean, this thing, it goes through like wildfire. And again, a lot of people won't be affected this much. And a lot of people will have short-term stuff. Some people will die. It's this stuff that remains the big, open-ended question at the moment. And it's this stuff that I just don't think we're getting the facts on that we need. We're just not getting the facts on that we need. And that's, uh, that's a big, big problem. All right, so uh, let's get a couple more. And when I say a couple, I mean uh, a lot of stuff that's uh, going on. All right. Oh, yeah. Hydro, um, hydroxychloroquine, isn't it? Trump just said he was on it, right? That he was, uh, he was working on that. So this, uh, the, the question of Sweden is very big and very important. So Sweden is, Sweden is going through this very little lockdown situation, and their death rates are higher, but where the curve is in the long run, we don't know. So uh, this is updates on early hydroxychloroquine at home, Italy versus no treatment is available, Paracetamol UK, why don't decision makers learn from international comparisons, right? So Italy, of course, with the, um, with the hydroxychloroquine is doing better. The UK is not. Again, one graph doesn't solve everything around the world, but it is database decisions need to be made. But of course, you know, a lot of people on the left really, really don't want America to get better. They don't want, quote, capitalism to survive and all this kind of stuff. Like that is just... Uh, just terrible. The Okay, uh, this is worth mentioning because this question of herd immunity, I mean, that's going to be the big possibility of how to get past this thing without some sort of Chinese communist military-developed vaccine made from bits of dead babies and stuff. Like, let's look at this. So 
the disease-induced herd immunity level for COVID-19 is substantially lower than the classical herd immunity level. And again, I'll put links to this below, but um, that's kind of important, right? The underlying reason is that when immunity is induced by disease spreading, the proportion infected in groups with high contact rates is greater than in groups with low contact rates. So that's because it's so spreadable in a sense. I think what they're saying is that the herd immunity can come faster. And uh, I think that would be that would be a good thing. Now, this is from Jack Posobiec, who, of course, is uh, an expert on China. He speaks Mandarin. He worked in China, a former intelligence officer, a guy well worth following. And this is really, like, astoundingly, staggeringly, shockingly evil stuff, right? So the governors of New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania ordered nursing homes to take in coronavirus-infected patients. Like, sweet, holy mother of God himself, is this ever about as sickening and evil a situation as you can imagine? So this is from USA Today, right? Albany, on March 29th, as New York and other states began ordering nursing homes to admit medically stable residents infected with the coronavirus. No, I don't want to see your surveys. Thank you very much. No, I don't want to skip survey. There we go. Sorry, on March 29th, as New York and other states began ordering nursing homes to admit medically stable residents infected with the coronavirus, national trade groups warned it could unnecessarily cost more lives. The health directives put, quote, frail and older adults who reside in nursing homes at risk, end quote, and would, quote, result in more people going to the hospital and more deaths. The American Healthcare Association and affiliates said at the time. A month later, it appears government officials should have heeded the dire call to pursue different pandemic emergency plans. Why don't you, we got these hospital ships out there in the States. Why aren't they putting these patients on these hospital ships or some other place? There's places, right? The deadly virus has spread like wildfire through many nursing homes across the Northeast, and state officials are scrambling to better protect those most vulnerable to COVID-19, the disease caused by the virus. The death toll is devastating. At least oh, over at least 3,000 people and 43 have died inside New York nursing homes. This is back May 10th. Pennsylvania, about 65% of coronavirus deaths with nursing home, nursing home residences and so on. And um, Richard Mollett, executive director of the Long-Term Care Community Coalition in New York, said to have a mandate that nursing homes accept COVID-19 patients has put many people in grave danger. And, yeah, people are dying. I mean, leftists have always had this weird relationship to people they call useless eaters or, and of course, you know, these are older, probably white people. They're probably going to vote Trump. So this is just, I don't know. There's some really, really nasty stuff that has uh, been going on with this. It is absolutely, completely and totally appalling. And I'll show you something else that seems kind of important because you'd think this would be pretty damn actionable, right? Like, you know, if you order, if it's the government, you order nursing homes to take infected patients in a disease that targets the elderly, and then, you know, your relatives are going to get sick and die, your parents or whoever. My God, you'd think they'd be suing all over the place, right? This is from Laws360.com. As thousands of elderly New Yorkers die of COVID-19, a recently passed immunity measure shields poorly staffed and undersupplied nursing homes from liability in most Cases. Oh, isn't that interesting? 
in a March executive order, an April budget bill in New York State granted a robust shield to nursing homes and their staff as the facilities desperately seek personnel, equipment, and testing to cope with the pandemic that's now killed 2690 of their residents across the state. That is pretty wild, right? The New York Law Emergency or Disaster Treatment Protection Act declares that, quote, any healthcare facility or healthcare professional shall have immunity from any liability, civil or criminal, for any harm or damages alleged as long as the care is provided in accordance with state rules and affected by, quote, decisions or activities in response to or as a result of the COVID-19 outbreak. So that's uh, kind of interesting, right? Who are they really uh, shielding? Well, if you order, like, this is right. So if they, you can't sue, it would seem. Again, this is what I understand. You can't sue, right? And that's, um, that's pretty appalling. Now, as far as flexing its might goes, you know, China's facing a pretty big PR problem, as is communism as a whole, because even if you don't believe that it's made by, it was made in a lab uh, or accidentally came off uh, or was accidentally released from a lab, um, you know, without a doubt, they suppressed all of this stuff, right? And the Chinese government suppressed the, the knowledge of all of this. So here, this is uh, May 10th, the Chinese Communist Party gave Australia 10 days to cancel the independent coronavirus inquiry. If not, China will impose an 80% tax on ore barley from Australia. Dear Lord. I mean, it's amazing what they could do. Okay, so just like brief history lesson, right? Uh, the, the communists wanted to destroy South Africa. And so, you know, they, they got the international community and they got gullible, stupid-ass musicians and all that to target South Africa for apartheid, for racism and so on, to target South Africa, to disinvest from South Africa, divest from South Africa, to put national sanctions on uh, South Africa. It's why, it's why Queen actually weren't allowed into... Um, uh, live Aid, uh, sorry, not Live Aid, they weren't allowed into that Do They Know It's Christmas song because they had played uh, Sun City, I think, or they played South Africa and so on. And, you know, the very brief history of South Africa, uh, South Africa was almost completely empty when the whites showed up. The whites had been in South Africa longer than whites have been, like longer than America's been a country. And what happened was after they built a functional society, the blacks came in from the rest of Africa, came swarming down from other dysfunctional black countries for the most part, and then came in and then started, they were about equal population at the end of the Second World War, and then the black population increased like eight or nine or ten times. Black population overwhelmed the white population, and now the white population is being subject to extraordinary amounts of violence and being stripped of their rights, and there's still affirmative action for blacks, even though blacks are the vast majority of the population. And the reason I'm saying all of this is so you understand that South Africa, while of course a dysfunctional country in many ways with a lot of problems, and I'm not a big fan of apartheid, I get all of that, but they moved the international community to destroy South Africa. But, of course, the communists in charge of the media aren't doing anything to get people to disinvest from or separate China from the world community, right, in the way that sort of North Korea is, is that way. That's kind of important, right? It's, uh, it's pretty, pretty important to, to recognize that. I mean, the death toll in America is very close to the maximum estimated death toll from all of Chernobyl. And, and by the way, if you want that series, it's on um, Crave, I think. It's very, very good. It's kind of chilling. It's very good. And the, you know, communism is just the gift that keeps on giving. Of course, China should be kicked out of the World Health Organization. It should be kicked out of the World Trade Organization. Nobody should trade with China. It's a rogue state. Uh, it's now taking this advantage of this virus that it helped to spread in order to make moves on Taiwan, to make moves on Hong Kong. Just 
appalling, appalling stuff. So, yeah, I will show this to you, right? This executive order. I mean, it's incomprehensible just how appalling this is. And, you know, I, I think it was Mike Cernovich who said, you know, how is this not murder? Can someone explain to me how this is not murder? Right, so I won't go through this. Again, I'll put the links to it below, but this is, right? No resident shall be denied readmission or admission to the NH solely based on a confirmed or suspected diagnosis of COVID-19. So the uh, government, because, right, you know, you, everyone thinks, oh, it's such a free market environment in, in American healthcare. It's like, no, it's really, it's not at all. It's not at all. And uh, this is straight up, to me, straight up mass murder of the elderly. Uh, it's absolutely just appalling. So to look at the worldwide differences for the countries that, you know, you're probably not tracking, but uh, let's talk about Belarus, you know, obviously a country I don't talk about nearly enough. This is from Paul Joseph Watson. Uh, Belarus, which didn't lock down, quote, has experienced one of the mildest COVID outbreaks anywhere in the world, only 135 deaths so far, which works out at 14 per million. And uh, that's... Uh, Kind of important to remember that it is very different. It's very, very different. So, uh, Jordan Peterson did share a paper. I won't go through all of these, but I'll put the links below. He did share a paper confirming the effectiveness of uh, masks, which is, uh, which is important. Uh, Scott, Gottlieb, Scott Gottlieb, sorry, who is a doctor, has... Um, tweeted a graph comparing the death rate of um, death rate per capita, right? He's also got to, anybody who's not talking about per capita is just not worth taking seriously. So Sweden is the yellow and the blue is the US. And so total COVID deaths per million people. So Sweden is higher. That's what I said earlier, right? So Sweden is having a higher uh, death rate. My personal belief is that the Swedish government hates elderly Swedes so much. I remember the Swedish government dumped millions of dollars into the um, terrorist organizations uh, in South Africa to help destabilize and overthrow the South African government as it stood, uh, the rabid lefties. And I think they hate old people. Uh, and um, I've heard some pretty disturbing reports coming out of Sweden of older people being denied oxygen and uh, bad things going on there. So I don't think it's anything to do with, um, oh, you know, they're just taking a sensible approach. I actually think that they did not um, uh, mind too much. Uh, that uh, it's it's uh, killing off uh, the elderly because uh, they just I mean, they've just turned completely rancid on their own population as far as I can see. This is why this like crazy mass migration situation in Sweden uh, is just resulting in staggering levels of crime and abuse, particularly of women. So this is really quite fascinating, right? Let's see. Can I close this? Uh, let's widen it and black me out. Close it and then move me back. You know, just like a real TV studio would do, right? All right. So this is from May twelfth. Uh, uh, this is from twenty-seven ABC twenty-seven News. Nearly seventy percent of Pennsylvania's COVID nineteen deaths have occurred in nursing homes or long-term care facilities, and that seems pretty important. Now, this woman, Levine, uh, is it a woman? I think it's a woman. Uh, Doctor Rachel Levine Levin Levine. I think Levine. 
So she said, by testing every resident and every staff member in every nursing home, we will be able to pinpoint exactly who has COVID-19, who has been exposed but has no symptoms, and cohort positive cases to prevent further spread. So this is where they were, the COVID patients were, in a sense, ordered in, or you weren't allowed to deny entry, right? While Levine beefs up rules and oversight at nursing homes and long-term care facilities, ABC 27 learned the health secretary's mother recently vacated a personal care home in the mid-state. She said, my mother requested that my sister and I, as her children, complied to move her to another location during the COVID-19 outbreak. My mother is 95 years old. She's very intelligent and more than competent to make her own decisions. Well, isn't that interesting? So in the state where they say you have to take coronavirus patients, this woman, Levine, uh, decides that it's really, really important to get her mom out. Mike Cernovich says, this is a smoking gun, shows that they all knew the elderly would die in nursing homes. This is the election issues of 2020, mass murder of the elderly, mass murder of the elderly by Penn and also Psycho Cuomo. And that's, uh, uh, that's, I mean, it's just appalling. It's absolutely wretched and terrible and appalling. And just so you can get a, uh, a visual of this, Oh, staggering stuff. Let's have a look. Let's have a look, shall we, at this fine specimen. Uh, That is uh, Dr. Rachel Levine. Levine. I think uh, trans, I believe, if I remember correctly. And uh, yeah, you all got to take COVID patients, but uh, excuse me while I get my mother out of this death zone. Uh, absolutely, absolutely appalling. Now, the World Health Organization uh, is, uh, is keeping everyone's spirits up by uh, delivering round after round of wonderful information. So after telling people uh, there's no evidence of human-to-human transmission, to close borders as racist, and so on, after really helping to facilitate the spread of this godforsaken disease, now what's happened? Well, May 13th, just five days ago, coronavirus may never go away, according to the World Health Organization. The new coronavirus may never go away and populations around the world will have to learn to live with it, the World Health Organization warned Wednesday. Just appalling. We have a new virus entering the human population for the first time. Therefore, it's very hard to predict when we will prevail over it. This virus may become just another endemic virus in our communities and this virus may never go away. HIV has not gone away, but we have come to terms with the virus. More than half of humanity has been put under some form of lockdown since the coronavirus crisis began. But the World Health Organization warned there was no way to guarantee that easing the restrictions would not trigger a second wave of infections. Well, of course it will. Of course it will. Yeah, we have uh, been studying viruses for about a thousand years and working on coming up with antibodies and vaccines for about a thousand years. It first started in China. And um, number of successful vaccines for coronaviruses, uh, zero. Zero, right? The flu one, like they just guess every year and and say what they think it's going to be, but there's no stable and reliable um, vaccine for any coronavirus that exists. And uh, yeah, I don't think we're just about to get one. So let us uh, get on to some more. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wall Street Journal. I don't know if they can let me in without cash. Let's find out. Let us find out if we can get in there without 
without the cash on the live stream. Dun, dun, dun. This is kind of the prep that goes into these complicated shows, right? Duh. All right, that's sort of half transmit. Oh, yeah, subscriber sign in, right? So, Dr. Fred's coronavirus keeps hot, no, sorry, keeps hot and stroke patients away from the ER. Fewer patients seeking help for medic- emergency treatments and regular conditions raises concerns about long-term health. So, this is what I talked about at the beginning of last month. The, the, um, the quote is, lower hospital attendance by cancer patients could cause a 20% increase in deaths among newly diagnosed patients in the U.S. over the next year. 1.7 million cases, 600,000 cancer deaths per year, an increase by 20%. An increase by 20%, right? So what is that? 600,000 cancer deaths per year, 1.7 million cases. So 600,000 increased by 20%. What? So 10% would be uh, uh, 60,000 and 20% is what? 120,000? 120,000 extra cancer deaths per year. That does not seem like a particularly good, uh, a particularly good deal for the cancer patients. And as a cancer survivor, you know, this is why I take things like um, James Watson being kicked out for talking about IQ from cancer research. I take that shit very personally, my friends, because that guy could have cured the disease that might still get me, right? So yeah, when they're talking about not having access to healthcare, I don't know. I mean, it's what you live with. I mean, everybody lives with that sword over their head. But when you've had cancer in the past, you know, it's just a little lower, right? So um, yeah, the fact that I might not be able to get healthcare because of the uh, assholes in China, that matters. That uh, that matters quite a bit. All right. Where did all the heart attacks and appendicitis patients go? This is a profound question. They didn't. They're either in hospital with COVID-19 or still out there and more likely to die. That is a very uh, a very cogent point, which, again, I sort of talked about in the past. Uh, Ron Coleman, I will just, you know, because this is really, really important. You know, like the New Yorkers who voted for the heavy socialists, uh, the Democrats in there, it's like, you know, I hate to say you got what you paid for, but you kind of got what you paid for, right? Ron Coleman says, in New York... Adding coronavirus patients to nursing homes proved a dangerous mix. It was a fatal error from the Wall Street Journal. He says it was murder. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to argue from a layperson standpoint that uh, that's, just getting people, uh, that's just getting people killed in an absolutely horrifying thing. The Seattle Times says that the coronavirus arrived in Washington earlier than thought. Positive antibody tests from two Snohomish County residents who said they were ill in December put the timeline in question. Oh, Lionel Media. Yeah, I should do another show with that guy. Um, he's, uh, he's great. Uh, he's great. Uh, and uh, he's a lawyer. And he says, um, I hope that Americans recognize that they're being held illegally and against their will for no reason whatsoever. I hope that Americans recognize that, that this is a ruling class exercise, a beta test to see the levels of constraint we will tolerate. And uh, again, I'm sort of half and half about this kind of stuff. And, um, oh, yeah, rationality. I'm sorry, this is another book right? somewhat unrelated. Um, rationality Rules. Uh, this is a guy, I guess I've had some tangles with him in the past. I'll just throw this in here so that I, I don't forget and you guys don't forget. Remind me if I have forgotten. This guy makes a bunch of videos, uh, endless series of videos attacking me. 
and um, he's got Molyneux's Humean Disaster, Molyneux's Humean Suicide, and Rationality Rules is this guy. I'm tired of these, like, snippy back-and-forth videos, so I said to him, let's have a debate. Uh, I've not heard back from him, but as far as I understand it, his father's also died, so, you know, take your time to grieve, and then let's get uh, let's get into it and solve uh, solve these uh, these issues. All right. Uh, I really do apologize for exposing you to the toxic sludge of CNN, but um, uh, this is where I found some of the best data regarding this issue. CNN, you know, uh, currently panicking because people aren't being forced to watch them in airports anymore because, yeah, nobody's going to airports, right? So. The U.S. Centers for the Disease Control and, Pre uh, Control and Prevention have issued a health advisory to thousands of doctors across the country Thursday advising them to be on the lookout for a troubling new syndrome that may be associated with COVID-19 infection. It's called MIS-C, Multisystem Inflammatory Syndrome, seen in children across Europe in at least 18 states. Doctors in the UK first alerted other doctors to the syndrome in April. And I will, uh, put again, put the links to that below. I've heard some real um, pushback against this, so, you know, be skeptical. Uh, be aware that it is important to be skeptical about these things, not just because it's CNN, but mostly because it's CNN. And so it's not confirmed. It's not um, necessarily valid, but it is important, I think, to keep uh, to keep track of this kind of stuff. Just keep keep track of it and uh, and stay uh, stay alert. Ah, uh, yes, we haven't really talked. Well, I mean, whoever does, right? We haven't really talked enough about semen. Uh, and I'm not just talking about, you know, the kinds who uh, work on cruise ships, but I guess we talked about those before. But yeah, let's uh, let's spooge it up. Let's jizz it up here. So, uh, lordy, lordy, your browser is in private mode. Of course it is. What am I, crazy? Oh, so not let me in? Not letting me in? Oh, let me in. No, it's not letting me in. Look at that. I've been cock-blocked. All right. Um... Coronavirus was found in the semen of recovered patients. Is it a sexually transmitted disease? Well, we know it's a socially transmitted disease. I don't know if it's a sexually transmitted disease, but we shall uh, we shall see. All right. Okay, let's talk about Neil Ferguson. Now, I did put in, I think, about a 10-second quote from Neil Ferguson in one of my early videos. You know, full, obviously, full honesty, full disclosure. And uh, this is uh, kind of important. I love cookies. Who doesn't love cookies? All right. So Neil Ferguson's imperial model could be the most devastating software mistake of all time. Ah, oh, come on. That's a hockey stick graph for global warming too, right? In, probably, in the history of expensive software mistakes, Marina 1 was probably the most notorious. The unmanned spacecraft, blah, blah, blah. Nobody died, and the only hits were to NASA's budget and pride. Imperial College's modeling of non-pharmaceutical interventions for COVID-19, which helped persuade the UK and other countries to bring in draconian lockdowns, will supersede the failed Venus space probe and could go down in history as the most devastating software mistake of all time in terms of economic costs and lives lost. Since publication of Imperial's micro-simulation model, those of us with a professional and personal interest in software development have studied the code on which policymakers base their fateful decision and it's totally, even if you feed in the same data, you get um, different results, which is really, of course, not what's supposed to happen. It is just appalling. And this is the guy who broke quarantine to go and be with his mistress uh, who has children and therefore could really uh, be uh, someone who uh, helped infect children. I mean, this is just appalling. 
absolutely appalling. So, yeah, sorry, that is, uh, I'm not going to burrow through all of that uh, crap uh, at the moment. But, um, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, this is important as well, right? So, you know, destruction of evidence to me is generally admission of guilt in these kinds of situations. And uh, let's have a look at what China's been doing with the evidence that the world is pretty keen to see regarding the origins of coronavirus, right? I mean, that's kind of important, right? Well, let's see if we can burrow through this. I don't think it's a paywall. That's ah, a New York Post. It's not a paywall. All right. So this is just a couple days ago. China admits to destroying coronavirus samples existed was for safety. Yeah, safety. China confirmed Friday it had, ordered, it had ordered unauthorized laboratories in the country to destroy coronavirus samples early in the outbreak. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has charged that Beijing refused to provide virus samples taken from patients when the pandemic began in China in late 2019. And that Chinese authorities had destroyed early samples. Louis Dan Fang, an official with the National Health Commission's Science and Education Department, told the South China Morning Post the samples were destroyed at unauthorized labs to, quote, prevent the risk of the to laboratory biological safety and prevent secondary disasters caused by unidentified pathogens. Hmm. That's, um, no, that's not how this works, China. That's not really how this works. If people suspect you of developing a virus or accidentally releasing a virus, you kind of got to hang on to those virus samples so people can check it out, right? That's, that's kind of important, right? So I don't know that you get to see, like, say, oh, you know, you want to see my tax record. Sorry, I destroyed them because I was concerned about getting paper cuts. Um, yeah, good luck with that, right? So that's not, you know, that's not, uh, that to me is not a reasonable approach at all. All right, let's do a couple more, and then we will get to uh, your issues and how you are doing. So, as Relevant has pointed out, yeah, this is, uh, this is worth mentioning, um, about the dangers in Canada, right? And, you know, I think this is similar to other places. So as Ezra points out, there are 8 million Canadians aged 19 and under. A grand total of 33 of them went to a hospital because of the virus. They all recovered. Not a single fatality from the virus. Not one as of yesterday. So why are schools and summer camps closed? Because teachers don't, don't want to teach your kids. And it's so funny. I remember back in the day. Oh, man, this is early on in my show. Ah, oh, when my show was just a wee bairn. Um, so I used to listen to this, the late Harry Brown with an E, who was a former libertarian candidate for president, uh, and um, he ran a pretty good radio show where the same guy just kept kind of calling it over and over again. Platespin, I think, was the sponsor. And he said, so people would say, you know, but if you tried to privatize the educational system, like, it would be a complete disaster and, and parents wouldn't know what to do. And he said, yeah, it would be chaos for about a week. And, you know, if people got to set up schools in their garages, if they, you know, whatever, like people will find a way. So here we've had a situation where schools have been shut down for, what is it, two months now, three months in some places. And, yeah, society's still functioning. Everything's fine. And, uh, yeah, I get necessarily you can't have that go on forever. But that's kind of important. So then the next time that people say, oh, you, but you can't privatize something because it'll be chaos. It's like, no, forget it. Yeah. It's, it's complete garbage, right? Because you can say, I remember that time when a school shut down and society chugged along and 
all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, so teachers don't want to be in school. The, the kids don't want to be in school. Parents are willing to put up with it. And the parents are also now realizing now that the teachers are saying, oh, yeah, just have Johnny read for an hour or so a day and maybe with a half hour lessons just like well, what the hell are you people doing with our kids for six seven hours a day if this is what what all that's necessary to uh to pursue their education i think that's kind of uh, uh it seems kind of important right uh, i will put a link to the thousand talents program which uh is horrendous and seems to be taking down half china enslaved american academics on a regular basis but um Oh, yeah, this is, I mean, you know, this is uh, strong, strong words from a guy who um, certainly knows the law pretty well. But uh, this is from uh, Mike Cernovich. You can check him out at cernovich.com. Uh, can someone explain why Governor Andrew Cuomo is not guilty of genocide of the elderly? You know, I uh, I make one little mistake and I'm like, up half the night trying to fix it and being bothered by it. And I've never made a mistake in my life like, hey, let's make sure that as many infected people with a disease that targets the elderly get into old age homes as much as possible. Crazy. Crazy. All right. Now, as far as, you know, what the world is looking for, and this again is from the Taiwan news. Look at that. It's not Voldemort to me. I can say Taiwan Unlike uh, some Canadian officials, I think. I can say Taiwan and, well, nothing bad happened so far. Stream's still running, right? Yeah, let's see. Um, <clears throat> so a resol- there's a resolution by 60 countries who want the World, Ho- World Health Organization to investigate the origin of the Wuhan coronavirus. And all members of the European Union, a grand total of 60 countries and others, have drawn up a resolution demands an investigation into the origins of the Wuhan coronavirus. Are you people freaking stupid? Like, what's the matter with you? China helped put this monster in charge of the World Health Organization. And he answers to China. It's a completely corrupt organization. He's covering up for China. He takes orders from China that infects the world. Come on, you're not going to get justice from this cluster frack of a buzz-cut douchebag. My God, people, stop it. Just stop. Just Stop it. Oh, yeah, this was interesting. So, of course, you know, there was a a bunch of coronavirus outbreaks before. Nothing this, you know, AIDS splicey, but uh, it's been around before and people didn't lock down in the 60s, I think it was, when the last one hit in the U.S. But uh, COVID-19 lockdowns, we've known for like 100 years that tuberculosis transmission is made worse when people are kept at home. Here's a passage about anti-TB campaigns in San Francisco in 1915. He says, finally, the benefits of open-air classrooms and of the porch campaign were contravened by the lack of coordinated reform among living and working spaces. Children might receive the advantage of fresh air while at school, only to return every afternoon to cramped living quarters lacking ventilation and posing serious threats of tuberculosis transmission. Boy, don't you, don't you miss the days when we were smart enough to have the word contravened in a, an average newspaper? Dear, oh dear. It's, uh, I think that's in an average newspaper. It's, uh, it's really, really sad how dumbed down uh, we've become. Uh, I'll also link to the peculiar blindness of experts, which I think is, uh, is important. Uh, yeah, so Science Mag 
So this is important to uh, recognize as well. In the sort of swirling clusterfrack of disinformation, misinformation, confusing what is it factual or not, I wanted to sort of point this out. And, you know, for remember, too, I did have people who were skeptical about coronavirus is dangerous on, uh, on the show as well. So a study claiming that the novel coronavirus can be transmitted by people without symptoms was flawed. Now, this is back in February, so we'll see. A paper published on 30th January about the first four people in Germany infected with novel coronavirus made many headlines. It seemed to confirm what public health experts feared, that someone who has no symptoms from infection with the virus can still transmit it to others. So I think that's been updated more recently. But um, here's another thing, too, around the various states in the U.S., right? I mean, it's one of the reasons why states' rights is important. Is states get to experiment with things, and you can sort of pick the best of the different experiments. So Dinesh D'Souza, who's got a book coming out next month, I think, well worth checking out. He's got great uh, documentaries. So blue state, red state comparison, right? So California and Texas, Florida versus New York. So California on the bookends, New York on the bookends are Democrats, Texas and Florida Republicans, of course. And, uh, you know, it matters. Like It matters. Right? Population in California, 40 million, just under 30 million in Texas, 22 million in Florida and just under 20 million in New York. State income tax in California, 13%. Taxes in Florida, zero. New York, 8%. State budget. California's in debt, 54 billion. New York in debt, 6.1 billion. Both Texas and Florida are balanced. The mortality rate is, uh, is uh, different uh, for the most part. It's slightly higher in Florida than California, but Florida has an older population. New York, of course, that much, um, that much higher. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of differences in these various states, and that's uh, that's pretty important. Now, another thing, too, so I was reading that you get quite a bit of money as a hospital if you have a COVID patient, which, of course, gives you a direct incentive to diagnose everyone and their dog as COVID patients, right? So, and I posted this on Twitter and said, look, the moment they started paying hospitals to have COVID patients, the numbers became largely meaningless, right? So this is from Tony Kormrumpf. Colorado just reduced their COVID death toll from 1150 to 878 after their Department of Health admitted they were counting those who tested positive for the virus but died from other causes. And that's uh, kind of important. Uh, this comes from Fox 10 Phoenix. Uh, again, I'll put the link. You can see the link there. Colorado immense coronavirus death count says fewer have died of COVID. And again, how this is all determined is somewhat of a question. But this is why... It is such a, um, a confusing thing when it comes to the data. The data is just all over the place. And uh, that's why, to me, at least until the data settles down, uh, yeah, I think caution is still a pretty good approach. I'm not, I mean, I'm not scared of dying of coronavirus. I'm afraid. I'm not, I'm not scared I'm going to get coronavirus and kick the bucket, man, like I survived um, socialist universities and cancer. One was easier than the other. I'll let you guess which one. Great Jesse Lee Peterson jail, at JLP Talk. Please check him out. I've done a couple of interviews with the guy. Great interviewer. He says, no lockdown, no social distancing, no masks during the Hong Kong flu. Why American life went on as normal during the killer pandemic of 1969. And yeah, there was a pretty bad pandemic in 1969. But this is back when people are a little less hysterical. Oh, yeah, this is important. So Laura Rosen Cohen has pointed out with regards to the old age homes uh, that... Um, COVID-19 patients went in, she's pointed out, and I think quite rightly so. Uh, so 
Sonovich, uh, Mike Sonovich was pointing out just uh, to, uh, today, no coronavirus, no coronavirus apocalypse from, from, from spring break, Florida beaches or Georgia. The mass deaths are from New York City and especially nursing homes, which Governor Cuomo forced to accept COVID-19 infected patients. Mass murder, no other way to put it. Cuomo ordered genocide of the elderly. And Laura pointed out the developmentally disabled were also sacrificed. Group homes for disabled adults also turned into genocide settings. And uh, she's got a link here for the New York Times and all of that. So, yeah, it's completely brutal. Uh, unbelievably appalling. Okay, so let's look at the mortality rate. Uh, this is last updated on uh, the 14th. So it's a couple of days ago, but um, well worth having a look at. Okay, hang on a sec here. It always needs two copies and one paste for reasons I can't figure out. Oh, is this going to snake us up the middle? Let's see here. All right, we can uh, scroll over a little bit here. So, you know, there's a lot of background here. And so a New York state conducted uh, an antibody testing study showing that 12.3% of the population in the state had COVID-19 antibodies as of May 1st, 2020. There was a baseline infection rate by testing 15,103 people at grocery stores and community centers and... White, 7%, Asian, 11.1%, multi, non, other, 14.4%, black, 17.4%, Latino, Hispanic, 25.4%. Uh, so 19.9% of the population of New York City had COVID-19 antibodies. So that would mean well, 1.6 million and change had been infected with SARS-CoV-2 and had recovered as of May 1st. Right, it's kind of, kind of important. The number of confirmed cases reported as of May 1st was 166,883, more than 10 times less, right? It's about 9%, I think. So this uh, site claims actual deaths are 23,000, almost twice the number of confirmed deaths. So if we put all of these things together, then the fatality rate is, uh, well, uh, kind of low, right? So 1.4% of people infected with SARS-CoV-2 have a fatal outcome, while 98.6% recover. So that's from New York. And it's important to remember, of course, the recovery is something that's still under question, right? That is something that is still under question. So 23,430 people estimated to have died, total population of almost 8.4 million. So one death out of every 358 people, right? So that's different from the mortality rate and so on, right? So the death rate is certainly lower than some have estimated before, but again, to me, the issue is what is the long-term issue with regards to long-lasting damage. All right, so that's my sort of briefy brief update. Let me sort of turn this dude off. I'll meet you right over here in the middle of the screen. There we go. There we go. Uh, I'd like to bring up the chat, but I can't here because I'm going through Restream. So uh, let's uh, let's get back to you guys. Thank you for your patience, but let's see what's going on with you guys. And yeah, nice to see a couple thousand of you guys out here. And let me just, uh, I might need to put on the old slow mode, but let's uh, get some questions or comments from you guys about how, you, how you're doing. What's life like for you in this brave new Commie virus world. Uh, so, uh, hi, <laughs> bring questions. Hi. Oh, also, you know, if you guys do uh, um, freedomain.com forward slash donate, it's kind of rough, man. 
it's kind of rough uh, to uh, to keep things running. Uh, if you could help out, that would be great. And um, you, you can do that at freedomain.com forward slash donate. Is the stock market recovery a bull trap? Okay, so here's the thing. Yeah, there are some indications that it can harm sperm production. So look, oh, there's lots of interesting things that are going to come out of this economy, this economic dislocation. Some good, some bad, some in the middle, right? So look, there are a lot of marginal producers out there. So you probably know these kinds of people. I'm going to be stereotypical and I'm going to put it out there like, you know, some girlfriend has a boyfriend who's tech savvy and the girlfriend wants to run some website about this, that or the other. And she doesn't really know how to do it. But the boyfriend who's tech savvy, he'll build the website, he'll make it work for her, he'll set her all up and maybe he'll do her taxes and all that. And she's just kind of faffing around doing a business that isn't really quite a business because there's no real way to, ra to, to rationally allocate costs and benefits of the business. So she's kind of, you know, pulling in, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks a week, and she's hoping it's going to improve, but she doesn't really spend much time on it. And so there is, there are a lot of marginal producers out there, people who should be doing something other than what they're doing. And this is true of the podcasting world. This is true of the vlogging world or the blogging world. There are a lot of people out there who are kind of getting by, and this is going to knock them out of that particular trap, right? The trap in life is not failure. The trap in life is halfway between failure and success, right? If you succeed, great. If you fail, you stop throwing good time after bad, good money after bad, and you go do something else. It's where you kind of bump along and you're like maybe a little plus, maybe a little. That's, that's the real trap in life. And it's the same thing in relationships, Man, I burned up more than half a decade off and on in a relationship in my 20s. With It was like it was pretty good, but it wasn't good enough to really sort it out. And there were these rough spots. And then, you know, it was bad. Whereas, you know, relationships where you go on a couple of dates, and the woman's just nuts. It's like, pff, you know, get out. It's the half success, half failure that really messes up people's lives and have them waste a huge amount of time and resources. So this economic slowdown is kicking a lot of marginal producers out of the economy or out of that particular aspect of the economy they were doing. I think that a lot of people are going to be like, oh, okay, well, I don't know, maybe I'm not that good. My business is kind of going tits up. Maybe I should just, I don't know, stay home and have some babies or like maybe I'll get married or, you know, maybe this whole economy thing is not working out for me, for women, for some men and so on. So, so I would say that there could be some real upsides. Now, in a sort of brutal cold economic calculation, there are upsides to people who are uh, old and consuming a lot of medical resources and so on dying. Not that anybody wants them to die, but just looking at the brutal cold economic calculation, whether that is going to be negatively affected in the long run by additional people requiring long-term care as a result of chronic conditions caused by coronavirus, I don't know. I don't know. But um, again, just looking at this sort of brutal uh, calculation standpoint, there are ups and downs. Somebody was asking me, do I think that, or how can Florida remain Republican when there are so many immigrants? Well, of course, a lot of the immigrants are from Cuba and they freaking hate um, communism, right? Uh, that's kind of, kind of important. So cities and towns with their measures towards small businesses, destroying them much at, the hand, much at the heels of all of this. Thoughts? Yeah, it's brutal. They are absolutely brutal on small businesses. See, governments don't like small businesses as a whole. They're not concentrated enough to give governments 
economic power. Like, you know, Walmart is so economically concentrated, Amazon is so economically concentrated that governments can get a great deal of benefit out of schmoozing with Amazon. But, you know, Joe's barbershop on the corner, it doesn't provide them enough concentrated economic power that it's worth manipulating. And so, and also because if you're self-employed, you're not paying income taxes. And so generally your tax burden tends to be lower. And, you know, entrepreneurs, they really, you know, they hate regulation. They hate government regulation and they hate taxes. If you're a big company, complicated regulation is to your benefit because you already have an HR department, you have a bunch of accounts, you have a legal department, you can find ways to navigate all of that. Plus, you're big enough to be able to significantly influence the direction of legislation to your benefit. So big business has a pretty good relationship with hyper-regulation and complicated tax rules and all of that because, you know, again, they can navigate it and uh, smaller businesses, just you just get overwhelmed and some people just give up. So, yeah, governments don't like small businesses in particular. Medium businesses, they're okay with. Big businesses, they love. And so the fact that big businesses are being encouraged to succeed and small businesses are being crippled is unfortunately entirely predictable in this circumstance and situation. So, yeah, that's not... uh, not. Trump has been taking hydrochloroquine for a week and a half. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very interesting. It's very interesting. Come on, Steph, this event is clearly being used as a power grab. What do you mean, come on, Steph? Mark of the North? Of course it is. I mean, I said that weeks ago. Yeah, of course it is. I mean, here's the thing, though, but it doesn't really matter because the facts remain whether the government is using this as a power grab or not. So liquor and convenience store business is off the cha-chain. Yeah, well, liquor stores are doing quite a lot, right? Quite a lot of, you know, you can work home drunk, I guess, right? And uh, I was initially kind of annoyed at that. But um, the DTs uh, is is pretty bad, you know, and and uh, people coming off alcohol addiction, it's pretty brutal, right? Eduardo says, "What do you think of undertaking international travel in 2020? Still, uh, not going to be my first choice." And you know, it's kind of funny, right? Um, because. I mean, I used to have, no, not a big lucrative, but, you know, fairly kind of consistent speaking gig, speaking tour kind of situation. And that all got shut down by radical communists. And now uh, nobody can travel. Like, so kind of worked out that way, right? The self-isolation is not good for people's internet addictions. I can personally attest. Oh, yeah. Isn't that right? I have to make myself go outside because, like, everything that I find to do is just with a screen uh, close up, right? Steph, do you like chocolate milk? Yeah, but I don't drink it because I'm not 12. <laughs> um, what do you say about the obesity problem with COVID-19? Well, I mean, one of the reasons why it's affecting Americans so harshly is because of their ill health. And it's the same thing with Russia, right? Russian alcoholism is off the charts. And so hopefully that will encourage people to be healthy, to deal with this kind of stuff, right? Cody says, my business was shut down. We lost $1 million in revenue. I lost $200,000 personally. Oh, man, Cody, I am so, so sorry. I'm, I'm just so sorry. Uh, that is, uh, that's appalling. That's appalling. And of course, you know, the, the, the big governments, they want you to go work for someone else because uh, taxes are deducted at source. You don't push back as much against regulation because it's handled by other people. So yeah, it is rough. Antoine says, Nazis euthanize the elderly, elderly and mentally disabled as well. That is uh, certainly correct. That is certainly correct. Spitfire Red says, if you don't take the vaccine, according to Alan Dershowitz, you won't have a job, travel or buy groceries. So what will you do 
is the question. You know, I'm not sure we should be taking a whole lot of advice from people who seem to have pretty positive relationship with someone like Jeffrey Epstein. 2 a.m. here in the UK need matchsticks to keep my eyes open. Hey, man, if you've got a clockwork orange it, just clockwork orange it. Uh, hi, Steph. Do you have a part of you that wishes that this pandemic will collapse the economy and the dollar just so we can get some sort of reset? Thanks. Uh, a part of me that wishes the pandemic would collapse the economy and the dollar. Ah, uh, you know, it's there's going to have to be a bounce, and this is a pretty good excuse for a bounce. And but I know I wish I mean I wish the bounce would never have to happen. So, Feminist Smith says I've struggled with being motivated to do the things I want while being frustrated with the world. Just get angrier until your motivation breaks through the wall of your indifference. Oh, it's bad. You know, it's bad in particular, too, because um, government workers are sitting pretty. Right? A lot of them don't have to work. They're still being paid. They're still getting all their benefits. And uh, everybody, I mean, this is, they really are the new aristocracy, right? So this guy says, I'm back to work. I work at a bar, a pretty big bar. We have a lot of sets for people, seats, I guess, for people. But in no way can we force that everyone stay six feet apart. The state will take the liquor license away. Yeah, that's rough, eh? I hate all this licensing stuff. It really is just a form of soft uh, enslavement, soft enslavery. Playing left for dead too, getting ready for the impending wave of dispossessed and unemployed. Let's see here. Did you see that a judge struck down Oregon's, Oregon's shutdown orders? If this holds, we may see progress. Yeah, and I'm always kind of surprised if you order something illegal and it turns out that what you ordered was illegal, don't you go to jail? <laughs> it just seems kind of odd, right? Uh, China destroy Australia, trade 80% tariff on barley. Where is Canada? Oh, Canada's completely in the pocket. I mean, Justin Trudeau, as I mentioned, is, is setting up with the Chinese military to produce a vaccine in Canada. Just appalling. All right. Uh, do you think that school will become more hybridized, homeschooled mostly than taking tests at school or other location? Yeah, so I mean, there's a reason why I think it's Harvard. They were going to have some anti-homeschooling conference, basically anti-Christian bigotry up the yin-yang, which tells you everything about who runs Harvard. But um, people are realizing that teaching kids isn't really that hard. And it's not. You just involve your kids in what you're doing and explain everything as you go along. So uh, it is... Uh, it's uh, it's pretty bad. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's pretty bad. So, yeah, they're going to really have to go after homeschooling because people are recognizing it's really not that hard. So, let's see here. If you have the cure for COVID nineteen, will you give it to China? I mean, if you have the cure for COVID nineteen, they'll just steal it anyway. So, I mean, that's a bit of an abstract question. Uh, let's see here. Hi, I'm watching from Brazil, says Carlos. Good evening. Good evening to you, too. Love Brazil. Wish I could come back. I loved Fable. Thank you for being part of making that game. Oh, it's because there's a game developer with the same last name, right? Yeah, yeah. Never heard that joke before. Right. Let's see here. Do you feel safe visiting a dentist at this time of COVID? Well, so, I mean, I use a water flosser and... Um, brush my teeth religiously morning and night, and I'm trying to stay away from sugar. No, uh, I'm, my dentist is closed except for emergencies, and I'm planning to not have an emergency. So, 
Uh, I have heard about the dead Chinese ambassador in Israel. I don't have any uh, thoughts on it. I don't know much about it. Uh, there's no stopping homeschooling now that people are seeing how painfully easy it is. And also, like, how how much happier the kids are not being in school. I mean, that's really, really important, right? I mean, I remember as a kid, I was maybe, it was after, I was in boarding school from six to eight, so I guess I was eight or nine years old. And I, I got up and I, I just hated going to school. Like, I just hated going to school. And I just remember one of the great moments of my childhood, it's kind of sad that this is a great moment of my childhood, but one of the great moments of my childhood was waking up, getting ready for school and realizing that it was actually, there was, it was a week off from school, that was a reading week or something like that. And it was just being like, it was like this egg of happiness just got broken and spread within me. It was just like this yoke of happiness was just stealing through my entire body. Uh, let's see here. Elon Musk has no idea what the red pill is. Agree? I don't know. He did ask who owns the media. Hello. <laughs> so, yeah, I think he's got some stuff, right? I think he's got some stuff. Uh, hi, Steph. I love your show. I made a small homage for you, but I can't put any links here. What's the best way to send you a JPEG? Well, my email's on the website, or, you know, you can sign up for a couple of bucks a month at subscribestar.com forward slash free domain. Super helpful for me. we got a whole Discord community. We go, we have a Minecraft server. We do college shows and uh, all of that. So it's really, really worth it to have that kind of community, and it's, it's dirt cheap. Is Trump going to do anything about censorship on social media? Well, um, so I don't know if this is going to play out, but there's mumblings of an antitrust case being opened up into the, some of the major social media companies. And, you know, so the deal was, as you probably know, the, the deal was that as long as you're neutral, you can't be sued for content, right? So if someone posts something crazy or evil or illegal or whatever on your site, you can't be sued for it as long as you're not editorializing, as long as you're not going in there and saying, oh, I like this viewpoint, I don't like this viewpoint, because that would make you more like a magazine or a newspaper. And if you're curating content, then you are responsible for that content. If you don't curate content, that's a different matter, right? So that was the deal that was hatched with the social media companies, and it, it is what has allowed them to grow, right? This is the big problem, right? So because they didn't have to curate content, they could have very few workers per user, right? And they could say, so the way it worked was, you're not responsible for copyrighted content, but you're responsible for taking it down once it's flagged, right? You're not responsible for illegal content, but you're responsible for taking it down once it's flagged, right? So illegal content is pretty rare, right? Like straight up, illegal content on social media, that's pretty rare. So this deal allowed social media companies to grow to the point where they have absolutely massive power over social discourse. And so keeping their fingers off the scale, being neutral, was required for their growth. They got the growth because they promised neutrality. And now that they're not neutral, in my humble opinion, you know, that's a big challenge as to whether neutrality should remain or not remain. Now, why they're pursuing them for an antitrust uh, is, is a whole different matter, but it's brutal, man. Those antitrust things will kill companies. I mean, they will kill companies dead. So when I was a kid or teenager or 20s or whatever, IBM was like the huge deal. And um, uh, international business machines, you don't hear much about them anymore, but they were like the company, man. They were monstrous. They were massive. They were a very huge deal. And they, the, just, the, uh, the DOJ ground into IBM, I think it was like a 13-year antitrust investigation. 
And it just, it, in my view, like it basically just gutted the company. I mean, the company's still running. It's probably still making a lot of money. But as far as it being a leader in the high-tech world, pff, dead. Dead as a doornail. Why? Because when you have an investigation into your company that can have significant, massive penalties, you don't know what, you're paralyzed. Like you want to grow the business, but you're terrified of growing the business. Because if you grow the business, it might look bad for your antitrust, right? If you withdraw from a bunch of businesses, that could also look bad for you because then it's like, oh, well, now you're withdrawing. Therefore, you've tacitly admitted that you did have too much power. and So you get paralyzed. And people who are really creative and want to create cool stuff, you're like, mm, I don't know, because if it's really successful, that could be bad for our investigation. Like you just get paralyzed and you spend all your time going through documents and producing stuff. And then people get interviewed and they don't want to keep doing that. They don't want to talk to these agents. They don't want to deal with the police. They don't want to deal with the DOJ. They don't want to be at risk. They don't want to get flinned. And so they quit. Of course they do. They go to work for some startup or they go to work for Microsoft or they go to work for Oracle or someplace. And, and so it's just like 13 years grinding away, I think it was, at IBM for the DOJ. I mean, it just eviscerated the company. And it became a shadow, in my view, at least of its former potential, its former glory. So if they do start to pound into, look, I think the leadership in the social media companies to, to a large degree, not exclusively. I think the leadership doesn't want all this social justice warrior stuff. I don't think they want all this shadow banning. I don't think they want any of this stuff. But they don't have the regulatory backing to say, stop it, right? So if the antitrust thing is saying, hmm, you know what? Now that we're looking into you and realizing that you are significantly editorializing content, you are significantly pro-Democrat, anti-conservative, anti-whatever, whatever, right? Anti-anti-communist, which seems to be the common thread. If you are that way then we're going to have to treat you as a magazine. And now you're liable for what's there. So if you just let everyone post, then you're not liable, right? But if you say, oh, you know, we don't like conservatives, we really like Democrats, so we're going to suppress conservatives and we're going to push up Democrats. And they do that, of course, by pushing up, quote, authoritative news sources, although, I mean, there were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, the Russia collusion conspiracy theory turned out to be a real hoax. Uh, the supposed victory of Hillary Clinton that was in the bag in 2016 was a, a kind of completely wrong. And uh, the uh, sure thing impeachment was completely wrong. And Michael Avenatti is not going to run for president in 2020. Like, they're just wrong about just about everything, right? So, but they're called authoritative, right? So if all of the news sources that are pushed by social media companies are generally on the left and all of the people that they support are either on the right or anti-leftist, well, then they're not neutral, right? And then it's like, okay, well, then you're now responsible for content. And that's not a sustainable business model. They have way too many people to ever be treated as newspapers because they can't vet, right? Newspapers can vet and check, and that's why, like, Rolling Stone was liable for uh, the false reporting on the rape uh, allegations and so on. And... And uh, this is why uh, CNN had to settle with Nick Sandman uh, for uh, all of this stuff. And yeah, they just, so if the regulations come down on, you got to stop curating for political content, you've got to stop pushing a political viewpoint and suppressing another political viewpoint. If that comes down, then the social media companies have, in a sense, they can say to their activist departments, like, sorry, man, you got to stop because this ruling has come down. And I think that the social media companies in many ways are begging for this ruling to come down from the government so that they can say, we've got to stop. Sorry, got to dismantle all this stuff. It's not, it's not good. And this may happen relatively quickly. 
In other words, if the antitrust investigation is you gained market dominance because of neutrality, and if you don't maintain neutrality, we can't let you, like the market dominance has now become a big deal because you kind of cheated your way to the top, so to speak, right? Because if you say, we're not going to curate content, we're going to be neutral, and that's how you get so big, and then you start curating, you cheated your way to the top in a way, right? That's my sort of obviously non-lawyer view of things. And so then you've gained market dominance because you've had absolutely unfair competition versus newspapers who are liable for the content because they curate. So if you're doing what newspapers do, but you get all the advantages of social media, then that's cheating in a way, right? You've got a special exemption from liability for content that other media doesn't have, right? So I think that they are going to look at that. Now, all that has to happen is they have to say, this is the angle of approach we are going to take as the government looking into antitrust. But this is the vector that we're going to start approaching on is we're going to look at your political neutrality. Then, I mean, then see social media companies then kind of in a bind, in my humble opinion. Please, it's all just my opinion, right? You understand, I don't have any, any deep expertise in this area, but, you know, I think it makes sense to me. So here's what happens. If the government, I think it would be a DOJ or antitrust, right? So if the DOJ says to these social media companies, listen, we're really concerned that you've kind of got to the top because of this supposed neutrality, but you're not actually practicing that neutrality, which means you kind of cheated your way to the top, so to speak. So we're going to take that vector. Then the social media companies have a big challenge because if they suddenly stop curating and everything suddenly changes, it's kind of an admission of how much they were curating. I mean, I know that for myself. I mean, look at these, uh, my videos used to be getting hundreds of thousands, millions of views and so on. And yeah, it's really been sort of pushed down. Yeah, I strongly suggest people, you can follow me on a wide variety of platforms, which you can find at freedomain.com. But um, if they kind of ease back on it, it'll certainly help some objectivity in the 2020 election. But uh, yeah, I think that's going to be the vector. That's going to be the approach. And we'll see. We'll see how it, uh, how it plays out. All right. Spitfire says, thank you, Stefan Molyneux. I think you are really trying to figure this out and will be an enterprise when you do. All right. Eduardo says, how do you homeschool if there are no other homeschooling parents around? Do the kids only hang out with adults then to avoid other school system kids? What's wrong with kids hanging out with adults? Well, you certainly don't want your kids hanging out with crazy normies, right? I mean, you don't want your kids hanging out with what is it? Kids these days are starting to access porn on the internet at the age of 10 or 11 or 12. Like, you don't want your kids hanging around with those people, do you? Right? Good Lord. Good Lord. A little bit of audio video desync going on. Videos ahead of audio by 600 to 800 milliseconds. Yeah, it could be. Could be that we're tiring, tiring things out. Thank you, Steph. What are you doing investment wise to protect your family? Are you buying stocks, gold, silver, real estate, cash? freedomain.com forward slash donate. Thank you very much. Any chance on doing memes? Oh. Have you heard about vitamin D and its immunity value? Uh, I think vitamin D is a good thing to take, particularly if you're kind of in a winter, winterish kind of climate. Uh, teachers are also adults, strange adults. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, the amount of uh, sexual molestation and abuse that goes on in government schools is absolutely terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. New Aubrey video on TMZ. Oh, should probably check that out. Uh, Pedro says, I just tried to search your Fight for Freedom documentary on YouTube, but it simply does not show it at all. Yeah, no, it's terrible. I mean, if, if that documentary that I put out last fall, 
before coronavirus uh, warning explicitly and historically about the dangers of China, about the dangers of communism. If that had been seen by more people, it could have changed things. So, you know, I think that uh, blood on the hands. I think blood on the hands. Absolutely terrible. Absolutely terrible. Aliens exist. <laughs> but few of them are crossing the border these days. Will Obama go to jail? No. No, there's, there's no... No, there's no, there's not going to be any objective justice for, uh, uh, for that. No, no, it's just not going to happen, right? Not going to happen. Uh, sad but true. Sad but true. All right. Uh, have you heard of a largely voluntary society opening in Honduras, Prospera, part of the Free Private Cities Project, it seems? I know that some years ago they were trying to get some land in Honduras. And we'll, uh, yeah, I will check that out again. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. All right, should we close it down? How long have we been chatting for? You guys are so much fun. I really, really do appreciate these uh, these conversations. Okay, hour forty three. Yeah, I think we can. Uh, I think we can wind down, right? Oh, look at that! I wasn't centered. Everyone's going to have to adjust their monitor. <laughs> All right. So, listen, guys. A huge, huge shout out from me. Um, love you guys so much. I really, really appreciate being able to uh, have these conversations, to be able to share this stuff with you. And uh, please, please uh, get into a community. Uh, I'm not trying to sort of sell you stuff, but uh, the Discord community is really good. People are setting up their own private chats. There's Dungeons and Dragons game going on. Uh, we, we drop into Minecraft. It really is a lot of, uh, a lot of fun. And um, if you can't afford it, just let me know. Like if you can't afford three bucks a month, I sympathize. I'm not, you know, being facetious about this. Let me know. We'll get you in there outside of that. But please try and get into some kind of community where you can chat with people. I'm sorry, I, you know, for all of those who aren't getting your requisite 10 hugs a day that you should be getting, I give you a nice big virtual hug and lots of love from up here in Canada and across Canada, of course, and I suppose north. How do you get in Discord? So you go to free domain, sorry, you go to subscribestar.com forward slash free domain, or you can go to freedomain.com forward slash donate. Subscribe through Subscribestar. There's a bunch of different tiers. And from there, after you subscribe, uh, you can get into... Um, uh, the the Discord server and all of that. So you really should uh, check it out. It's uh, it's really great uh, and it's you know troll free because it's donors and all that. So I appreciate uh, everybody who's allowing to do all of that. So yeah, it's um, subscribestar.com forward slash free domain and you can sign up and it should be pretty pretty easy to do. You can also of course just donate uh, Interact and and uh, a Visa and all of that at um, freedomain.com forward slash donate. All right. Thanks, everybody, so much. Lots of love again. And um, let me know what you think. I'm sorry it took me a little while to do some of these. I got distracted by Aubrey, and I wanted to wait for as much data as possible. But a great pleasure to chat with you guys. And um, what can I tell you? Love you guys. And um, I, will, uh, I will talk to you soon. And uh, here's where I find the website to turn this off. There we go. <laughs> We're back. All right. Bye.